Welcome to the Sisterhood of Limitless Living, Season 4. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno. Today, we're talking about the power of rest and the importance of rest for public health professionals. We're speaking with Marissa McCool, MPH, who is a rest coach for public health professionals. We hope you enjoy this conversation we had with her recently on the importance of rest and what you can do to make sure that you are at your best as a public health professional caring for others in the field. To learn more about us, visit sl3podcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Public Health Networker. Today we're talking about a very important topic on the topic of burnout and rest and the importance of really evaluating your life to make sure that you're your best so that you can help other people. So today we're speaking with Marissa McCool. She is a coach to public health professionals who are in need of rest. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, which means I coach everyone in public health because we're all in need of rest, right? Yes, definitely. Well, this is perfect timing for you too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited. Hi, everyone. So nice to meet you all virtually through your earbud. My name is Marissa McCool. I've been in the public health field basically my whole adult life. I actually got my undergrad degree in public health way back when it was less common and less available. Um, And I worked everything from sexual violence prevention to maternal child health. I worked in academia and nonprofit and government. And, you know, I found myself burning out, which I'm sure I'll share more about. And coaching really helped me. And as a result, I've decided to now make this my new career path of coaching others in public health who are overworking, meaning working past five more nights than you want to, working on weekends, checking email when you want to be with your family, who are overwhelmed, feeling like I'm I'm trying to do it all and I'm constantly on the go, but somehow it still piles up, who feel like maybe they're losing some of the fulfillment or purpose or not having time for themselves and really want to figure out a way to create a life where they can do the things they love and have time for themselves without the hustle. So that's really the work I do. And I'm really excited to be here and talk more about rest with you and everyone listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Marissa. The work you're doing is so needed and is so important right now, especially with all the stuff that is going on, as we say. And so how did you get started in the field of public health? First of all, how did you become interested? And then how did you get started into how did this idea of of coaching um, occur to you? Yeah, you know, for the field I went to, well, one, I grew up always liking helping people um, and wanting to help them. And I do want to acknowledge now that you know, looking back and, and a lot of my work looks at how we're socialized under systems of oppression, one of which being the patriarchy, as I've been socialized as a woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, it's like, wh- is that my true intrinsic nature or is part of it being socialized as a woman where we're, we're told our role is to always help others and put ourselves last? It's mm-hmm. probably a mix of both. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what came to mind, which at that time, all I really knew was like, oh, medicine, let let me be a doctor. That's the way to help people. And then that turned into, oh, I'll do nursing. And in my undergrad, my freshman year, I took a class, a public health class. I'd never heard of it. And it was around the HIV AIDS epidemic. And I became fascinated. But when I told my parents, oh, I think I want to do public health instead of nursing, they, of course, were like, no, what's that? You're just going to test people for STIs, nursing so stable, you can have a stable income, it's secure, which, you know, it made sense. My parents wanted 
me to have kind of stability that they maybe didn't. Um, but you know, I tried to stick with nursing and a couple of years later, I was like, this is not working. I'm going to try the public health route, which was really calling me. And I was lucky to be going to the university of Arizona, which at the time had an undergrad degree in public health, which now thankfully is more common, but at that time really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I switched majors, my grades improved, my attendance improved, like it was really the right fit. And after that, you know, I worked for a little bit, went and got my master's in public health at Emory, did a fellowship at CDC. Then I went on to work at UC Berkeley for several years in various um, leadership positions. And at the time, I mean, I love public health. I still do. And I, I, through my whole career working full-time in the field, I loved it. Mm -hmm. But as you know, and as everyone listening knows, there's lots of challenges way before the pandemic burnout was an issue. And so before the pandemic years before my time at UC Berkeley, I was really burning out Now I didn't know that's what it was. And I actually still think this is a major issue in public health. People who are burning out don't really realize they are because we have this image that it's someone on the front lines doing clinical work, or it's someone who's like fainted and gone to the hospital but really there's a spectrum of what burnout is. And so for me, I was felt so overwhelmed, felt so exhausted. I would get an email on the weekend and just start crying. Like the, my emotional and nervous system response to a trigger was so disproportionate because I was just on empty and I was feeling so much resentment and hopelessness. Like nothing's going to change. There's no way I can get out of this. And I tried all the things that we're told to try. I went to therapy. I worked out more. I tried to eat healthier, do yoga, meditate, all that stuff. None of it really sustainably worked for me. Yeah. And I ended up listening to a podcast. It was a coach and it really changed everything. I ended up hiring her and working with her for a couple years and it will really transform my experience. I didn't have to quit my job. I didn't need my bosses to quit. I didn't need the organization to hire more staff for me to feel better. I was able to figure out how to feel better on my own, to reduce my overwhelm, to feel more empowered, to feel more confident, to say no, to set boundaries. And yes, we want funding to increase. We want staffing to increase. We want those things to change, Mm -hmm. but we want to be able to feel better without waiting for those things to change. And that's really coaching gave that to me, the tools around coaching. And I should be clear the type of coaching I'm talking about is really around mindset coaching, not as much like um, there's different kinds of coaching, right? There's coaching that's more uh, action-based, like, you know, here are the actions you need to take or mm-hmm. review-based. I'll review your resume. This is more mindset coaching. And during the pandemic, in the beginning of the pandemic, I should say, you know, we were all way overloaded in addition to our work going up we were also experiencing the stress of like, what's going on? Our nervous systems are freaking out. Are we safe? And I remember looking around and I had very similar circumstances to all my colleagues, but they were experiencing way higher rates of stress and overwhelm than me. Mm -hmm. And the only difference I could really see was I had these coaching tools to process my emotions, to still feel confident, empowered, to decide what to think, to take rest, to set boundaries And I realized there's a huge need in public health to have this type of coaching available. Mm -hmm. And I started my business and I've been doing it ever since January, 2021. And it's really powerful seeing people be able to 
not just change and transform to feel better and have more time, but to feel empowered because they have the tools to continue to do it even after we stop working together. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And that's so important. It's so powerful. Thank you again for the work that you're doing. I think so many more of us need to understand the power of mindset and, you know, there's just, this can save your life. Literally. I'll take it there. You know, (laughs) Um, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. So burnout is one thing, but I mean, the, the, the trauma that weighs over your head, it it starts to manifest into your body, right? So you start to develop all these symptoms. And I was a student in Berkeley and this wasn't even a public health topic, but it is of course, um, because it it does impact students. But three of my friends got cancer in our Mm -hmm. undergrad year. And so one of them didn't make it at 21. And then the other two, I believe are okay now. They've recovered and, you know, they're surviving and, and thriving now. But, you know, something about that, toxic just the academic environment there was was something right but I'm just taking it there because you know we're talking about Berkeley and um it's it's intense mm-hmm. but also I, I didn't know what major I wanted back then when it comes to jobs I feel like the worst jobs I've ever had were in public health and I'm not lying like in terms of burnout and abuse and trauma public health has been very harmful to me and um I'm just being very real right now. It's been hard because of the fact that we work in these toxic facilities. We work in these buildings that are now condemned and people are getting cancers from working in these buildings. We work with bosses who don't understand health equity. We work with people who believe that you've got to give your life to this job. If you really care about public health, you've got to sacrifice, right? And a lot of, a lot of us are women in public health. You know, my class of my PhD, I think we only had like one male. So like you said, like us caring about other people and being willing to take a smaller salary to care for others is something we see so often. I'm also really curious to hear from you about racism in the workplace, racial trauma, and how coaching can help with that as well. Yeah. And I I would say it's any type of experience under systems of oppression, not just white supremacy, but also the patriarchy, toxic capitalism, because you know, the field of public health developed and operates with those systems as well. It, it's right. not in a vacuum away from it. Yeah. And everyone within public health, including me, including you, including everyone listening, have absorbed messages from systems of oppression that are promoted both in our society, but in the field as well. And we internalize those. So there's kind of the way I think about it is There's the external piece of the systems, the policies, maybe what other people do, whether it's based, you know, racist policies or sexist comments, all of that happening externally. And we definitely want that to change because that has an impact. But I also think it's important to acknowledge, and I actually think this is where a lot of the mindset coaching can really help, is the way we internalize those things and make it mean I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, Mm -hmm. or I'm not good enough, or I can never do this because of my, you know, the way I look or the way I was raised or how much money. And that's part of the way these systems continue to operate to Mm -hmm. oppress us is not just to the external oppression, which is important, but the way we internalize them and then unconsciously or not oppress ourselves, which is the way we're thinking and our limiting beliefs and putting ourselves down. And so part of the work that I do with folks, and I've done this on my, on myself too, it's a continual process because it's the waters we swim in 
is part of the place we can really regain our power. We might not be able to control what other people say or what policies change. We might have some control, but we can't fully control. But we can gain empowerment and control by undoing our own internalization and choosing what to believe about ourselves on purpose and not just believing every thought our brain offers us, even if it sounds true, because a lot of those have been influenced by these systems of oppression that our brain has heard, kind of taken in, reworded, said it in our voice to repeat to ourselves. That sounds very true, but a lot of it is just rooted in these messages about who you should be, who you shouldn't be, what's your worth, what's your value. And a lot of this does contribute to us overworking, not setting boundaries, not saying no, and not really living the life we want to live. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Like during that year, my last year working for a public health agency, I got, I left early, I got really sick with an autoimmune diagnosis. And it was a very toxic environment. But what are the tools that I could have used to stand up for myself at that time, right? So like, we had a boss who was like, Oh, you don't know epidemiology. Um, first of all, he's an MD, he's not even an MPH. First of all, he doesn't even know what we study. He doesn't really even know what the scope of epidemiology is. Before I began my job, I went to a complex system science, total epidemiology, like agent-based modeling course. But no, I don't know epidemiology, you know? Um, so yeah, I left totally feeling like I had nothing to contribute to this department and I left very sick, you know, but the things I could have done, right, have been like, well, why are you saying that? You know, why do you think that? You know, when you come and you tell me after our health equity meeting that you're pride, you're priding yourself on treating all your patients the same. What do you mean by that? Do you know what health equity actually is? You know, things I could have really done differently if I had the power. Yeah. And part of that is like, I th- I do think it's so important to look at our our conscious and unconscious thoughts. So I'll give an example that I think many people listening can relate to and definitely was my experience for many years, which is, you know, if the norm at the organization is for people to respond to emails or send emails at various hours of time. So like in academia, I found this to be very common, more so than when I worked in government because faculty will be working at any hour of any day. And I was a staff person. And so oftentimes what happens, even if that's the norm, we feel like we're telling ourselves, these are our thoughts in our head. Oh, I have to check. I have to be on. I have to respond. And if we ask the question why, it's not really about the norm. It's more like, well, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm slacking. They're going to think I'm lazy. And really what that speaks to is the thoughts that we're thinking about ourselves are not confident thoughts. Versus when I was able to shift my thinking to my value, my ability to show my skills doesn't have anything to do with how fast I respond to an email. And I was able to create the confidence that I don't have to check emails on weekends or evenings or respond. And even if someone came to me and said, hey, I sent you an email, you didn't respond. It didn't bother me because I had created the mental confidence of like, okay, well, I'll get to it when I can. And I wasn't doubting myself and worrying what they would think and telling myself that I was going to look bad because I didn't believe those thoughts anymore. I believed instead my work is quality. It's very clear. It's not dependent on my email response time. So that mental shift can make a huge difference. Even if the norms at your workplace are promoting burnout, if you have the confidence to believe that you don't have to engage in those, that cannot, that alone can create so much space for relief, for reducing overwhelm, for creating confidence that can help you. And eventually you might decide you want to leave. It's not the right place for you, but you're doing it from a place of confidence and active decision rather than a place of like, 
almost running away. Yeah. And it's also like, what do you think constitutes a successful employee? In your in your mind, how would you describe someone who is a great employee and being able to kind of stand by what you're saying or what you're thinking? You know, when I worked for a public health department, I actually was answering emails during my honeymoon because mm. I thought I wanted to be this great. I wanted to get promoted. I wanted to be this great example. And of course, I was sacrificing my well-being for that having that clear definition for yourself of like what you will and won't do and getting clear on what actually mean what it means to be a good employee. Yeah. And I think what's really important here, and this is, I'm so glad you brought this up is this is actually part of the ways that toxic capitalism, hustle culture, and, and for women, the patriarchy really have us overworking is we've been told that what value and worth are and are not, and that might not be accurate. So value is really subjective. Value is I might believe that I'm bringing a certain level of value. Someone else might disagree. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We can have a difference of opinion of what's valuable and what's not. But the problem is a lot of us have been socialized to believe that it has to do with our worth, that to be worthy, I have to prove myself. I have to always help others. I can't say no. And we get our own worth tangled up in value. Worth is your level of worth cannot change. Every human was born worthy. There's nothing in your life you can do to reduce your worth. There's nothing in life you can do to increase your worth. It is infinite and it's stable and it's not going anywhere value is completely different. And I see this a lot when it comes to, I I don't necessarily coach around money, but I do see this a lot when it comes to women and negotiating for raises or salaries. We get these two things confused. Value is separate. I can believe that I bring a lot of value to my workplace with my evaluation skills. If they disagree, that's okay. It doesn't mean anything about my worth. It doesn't mean I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. It just means we have a difference of opinion of what's valuable. I can choose to take my skill somewhere else where they agree with my definition of value. Mm -hmm. It makes it a lot less personal and making it about our worth and feeling bad about ourselves and more about like, let me find a place that we align on what we believe is valuable. Yeah, that's an important distinction. And that's something that I think many of us need to think a lot more about uh, when are we discussing or or measuring ourselves on, you know, our worth, which like you said, cannot be changed or on the value we can provide to this organization. Yes. And a good clue is like, if you find, if you find yourself thinking things like I'm not good enough, um, it's not good enough. I'm not doing a good enough job. That usually tells you you're tying this to your worth versus I I can't bring this value. I don't know how to run this analysis. That's a value piece. I can learn that. I can go build that skill. Then I can build that extra value. That's totally different than telling yourself, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'll never be able to make it. I won't be successful. All of those things, which everyone, that's totally normal. My brain says that to me still to this day. That's okay. But part of the skill is learning how to not believe those thoughts and detach from them and choose to believe something different instead. Yeah. So I feel like there's kind of a a few different um, components in this process. It's kind of knowing yourself or understanding your patterns of thinking. And then it's also knowing when to say no to certain things or not necessarily say no, but kind of responding in accordance with your values and integrity for yourself. Um, And then the rest component. And so I would, I would love for you to tell us a little bit 
about the rest component and what do public health professionals need to understand about rest? What I'm going to share for folks listening might be a totally new way of looking at rest that you've never heard of, and that's okay. Let yourself sit with it. You don't have to agree with it or disagree with it. I really want you to give yourself space to just ponder what I'm about to say, because I believe that we've been sold this idea of what rest is or is not and how to get it in a way that really just reinforces hustle culture. We've been sold, we've been told directly or indirectly that rest is only a certain set of activities. It's a spa day, it's sleeping in, it's going on vacation. And while those things can be restful, it doesn't mean it's the only type of rest you can get. And also, if you go to that spa day and you don't feel rested, then what? And also, if you don't have the circumstances, whether it's the funding or the structure to participate in some of those activities, then you believe you can't rest. All of this, which is designed to keep you hustling, because it's set on this idea that rest is limited, it's not accessible to everyone, it's not available, which is not true. That's all a lie. We've been told you have to earn your rest, which when I say that right now, some of you might be thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think that, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever delayed your lunch on a work day or skipped it or eaten while you worked because you're telling yourself, I have to get this done. I can't stop now. I have to finish this. Just one more thing, which I've done. <laughs> we all yeah. have. Yeah. That's just the way we've internalized earning rest. It just sounds different, but essentially that is believing you have to earn your rest. You have to earn your lunch. You have to earn your break. And we all do this. We've been socialized around this. We've also been socialized to believe you have to justify your rest. That's why for many of us, if we're requesting a day off, if you have to formally request just to do nothing, we feel more uncomfortable doing that because we're worried we're going to have to explain it versus, oh, for a wedding, because that feels more justifiable that we don't have to defend our reason for taking the day off. We've also been told to believe that rest is for the purpose of benefiting others. And this maybe is the most prominent thing that happens within the field of public health that really needs to change Mm -hmm. because this is where public health and other helping professions really amplify this rest is for benefiting others. And there's a saying you might've heard that says like, you can't pour from an empty cup, which has good intentions, right? The purpose is to like encourage people to rest. But really when you think about it, It's really communicating that the purpose of rest, of filling your cup, is to just give it away to someone else. Yeah. So what ends up happening when we get these messages, whether we're conscious of it or not, we end up hustling more because we believe we can't rest. It's not available to us. We have to earn it. We have to justify it. We can only do if it's for others. And then we end up overworking, feeling overwhelmed, not saying no, not taking time for ourselves. And if we do rest, not enjoying it. So I really want everyone listening to really question your concept, your definition, what you believe about rest, because a lot of what we believe has really been fed to us by the patriarchy, by toxic capitalism, by white supremacy to keep us hustling and burning out and not resting. Because when we do rest, when we do take time for ourselves, when we do build energy, number one, we enjoy life more and we live the life we want. But number two, We have critical thinking, we have the bandwidth, we have creativity, we have energy to take down these systems in new and innovative ways. And of course, systems of oppression don't want that. I love public health, but there's so much that needs to be changed, right? And this time for us to to rest and be creative and to come out of the box that we think in 
with our organizations or our jobs, uh, that's that's important. You know, that's why we need vacation. We need those opportunities to think creatively and differently because public health is currently not going to save us. Yeah. And I think the other thing we have to do is we have to, it's really important to redefine what rest is for you individually, because ultimately what creates the policies and the systems and the norms in public health are people, right? For those policies to change, people need to, to change, including ourselves. And when you start to change your mindset around rest and redefine it, you get to see that it's actually abundant and it can always be available because the truth is rest is not an action or an activity. When we feel rested, it's because our mind feels rested because emotionally we're rested. That's really what rest is. That's why someone could go to the spa, which is a traditional form of rest that we promote and not feel rested, be getting a massage and just thinking I have so much to do and like organizing their to-do list or their order of operations when they get home and not really experiencing rest. Mm -hmm. And that's also why some people believe it or not find traffic restful because they're sitting in traffic and their mind is at peace. They have emotional peace. So it's not really about the action you take or the activity. Rest is really about your mental and emotional state. Because the truth is there's always going to be life challenges. There's always going to be things that circumstances you don't you don't want or are difficult or you didn't ask for. The rest most of us in public health need and are really looking for doesn't really have to do with the action or the activity. It has to do with getting the mental and emotional rest that we want. And so really shifting that and seeing that opens up so much more possibility for feeling better, for getting rest. And it also is really good news because it means no matter your circumstance, no matter your funding, no matter your salary, no matter how many kids you have, no matter how many jobs you work, if rest is about our mental and emotional state, which we can learn tools to be more confident, to reduce our overwhelm, then we have more control. Then we can get more rest, even if nothing externally changes, because what's in our control is how we think. That is 100% in our control if we do it consciously. What do you think about the future of public health? And is this something that you think will ever happen with our organizations for public health professionals? Yeah, I do. And I already see it. I see it all the time. I think sometimes when we generalize the field of public health, which we do need to do, right? There are things that we need to generalize about the field that need to change. But when we do that too much, we miss the the smaller micro things happening in the field that are creating that change. Because again, what is change? How do we change structures, systems, policies in the field of public health? It starts with people changing, individual people that then make different decisions and then change policies on a smaller level or a team level, organization level. So it has to really start at the individual level for those bigger things to change at a higher, faster rate. And I have seen it. I mean, one, with my one-on-one client, big changes in their experience. And when they change, they're, they're modeled, they model that for their colleagues. If they're a supervisor, they start to change things as a supervisor. I've had organizations hire me to do trainings with their teams, indicating that they want to change too. And I've even talked to organizations like one of which I was so impressed by. One of the things I criticize a lot is in public health, along with other fields, the idea of accrued PTO 
is just another message that you have to earn your rest, that you have to work to get your rest. And this company I talked to took that, eliminated that. The moment you start working, you get access to PTO. You don't have to earn it. And things like that are changing. And I think those things are the building blocks to the bigger change. But it is important to look at that micro level and see those changes because they are happening. And that's where you also can get it feel empowered and feel more hopeful and see the change moving, even if it's not moving as fast as we would like. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I think that each one of us can make a difference. And the work that you're doing is empowering and inspiring individuals who work in public health. So making those changes one person at a time and then connecting them to organizations, to their teams and so on, so that we can begin to have a healthier workforce. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. How can people learn more about your work, learn more about rest and public health? Uh, How can people get in touch? Yeah. So the best way I have a podcast called redefining rest for public health professionals available wherever you listen. I share out weekly episodes, uh, 15 to 30 minute episodes that dive into a lot of these topics, because this is a huge mindset shift. This is changing the way you think about rest and just listening to those podcasts alone can help you reduce your stress, can help you prioritize yourself, feel more confident, create more time. I've heard from so many listeners who've never worked with me one-on-one say, oh my gosh, listening to this podcast every week, I've already started to feel better. So that would that's a great place to start. It's completely free. If you want to connect with me more, I'm on LinkedIn, Marissa McCool. I'd love to connect, reach out. I share a lot of content on there as well. And if you are ready to go deep, if you are ready really to get out of burnout and overwhelm for good and learn how to make sure you never get into it again. I have a one-on-one coaching program where I work with folks deeply each week on this and at McCoolCoaching.com. You can check it out, learn more and sign up to chat with me. Thank you so much, Marissa. Thank you for the work you're doing to support our public health workforce so that they can be healthy. And um... thanks for having me. This has been great.